Thank you for checking out our podcast today. We hope that the teaching you're about to hear will inspire you and motivate you on your incredible journey in becoming a better you. So please turn your attention to today's message. been a great month. We have celebrated in so many different ways. Um, We've heard amazing messages from really strong women, and I'm just so thankful for them. Um, I'd be lying if I stood up here. I got my pockets packed with tissues because I'm prepared. Um, It has been a very emotional preparation for me with this message. I've always been transparent when I'm up here, right? (laughs) So I'm not going to stop today. Um, Even before uh, the terrible events that took place uh, this week, um, and don't don't take any of this hyper-spiritually, okay? Don't get weird on me. Um, But it's a very real thing that we're dealing with. And um, I... The enemy has been using my emotions, which is my area of vulnerability, one of my strongest, and he's been using my emotions to prevent me from being up here today. Um, I've been struggling with anxiety, and I've been struggling with self-doubt. God, is this message the right thing? Nothing feels right. Nothing's coming together. Nothing makes sense in my head. Like, I have all these ideas down on paper, but, like, is it what you want? It just doesn't feel right. I don't know. I don't want it to sound stupid. I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to be inaccurate. Do I understand the word the way I feel like I've written out the way I (laughs) understand the word? Like, just whatever emotion you can feel. Um... And this whole month we've been talking about Flourish, and I just thought, I'll be honest, this morning I was going to tell Jalen, I'm going to call Lolo, and you're going to cough, and we're going to say we're not going to make it today. (laughs) (laughs) And he'll just wing it, and everything will be fine, and I'll get out of it, because I'm telling you, I've been battling, that's why I'm prepared with tissues, because I am pushing through emotions, because the enemy is not winning today, okay? I, um, as I was driving in the car and pushing through and I I don't even know if my husband noticed, but we had this song on repeat and I was just weeping and, um, he was driving, so I'll give him a pass. (laughs) Um, and I was hiding it and, um, I just remembered thinking, If you think about everything we've learned this month about flourishing, it's a very simple concept. And the enemy knows that. And he knows that if we could just grasp the simple concept to flourish, and he can't grow, and he can't destroy, and he can't get in the way... We got the victory. He, he doesn't have it. So he's going to fight. He's going to pry. And that's why I got in the car. That's why I am holding the microphone with tissues in my pocket. Because 
He does not want me to flourish. He does not want you to flourish. If we just get the simple concept and apply it every single day, he doesn't win. He never can win and never will win. I don't know where God's going to go today. (laughs) I have a plan, but in my spirit, I shared it with Pastor Jose before coming up today that I just don't know. I just have it in my spirit. So if we go with the plan, we go with the plan. If we don't, we don't. I apologize in advance to the interpreters. Um, I did not know that my father was going to be here today with me. So I just want to take a moment to honor my dad. Thank you for coming. I love you. He also didn't know <laughs> he's part of my message. <laughs> so you picked a good day. Um, so before I get into my message, I just want to tell a little story about my dad. Um, my dad is not a farmer in the sense that he grows really large acres of crops and has all these barns with livestock. Um, But he is an avid, very dedicated gardener, which let's for today, let's just assimilate the two, okay? They're the same thing today. Um, And my dad, I remember growing up, I remember from a very little girl, has always had a garden, always. And it started small because we had a smaller house, so the garden was smaller. And then we moved, and we moved into another house, and it had some more acreage. So he started another garden um, of some fruits and vegetables that he knew how to grow. And each year, the garden would get a little bigger. There'd be more and more and more and more. Because as he got comfortable with the things he was learning to grow and the soil that he was growing on, he would expand his garden. And before we knew it, the garden took up almost half of our yard. And every year, every season, my dad, he never forced me to be in the garden with him. Um, but it was sort of one of my chores. I, my job on the weekend was to do the yard work because I'm the favorite and my brother and sister were terrible at it. I think they planned that on purpose. <laughs> I am such a perfectionist that I wasn't going to do it wrong and I screwed myself up and did it too good and never got out of it. So... Saturdays was our yard work day. We'd wake up early. My dad would wake up super early, and he would be out in the garden doing whatever, getting the soil ready, tilling it. We had so much equipment. I don't even know. We had, I, I still don't know what we did it all with, but he would get the soil ready, loosen it, stir it up, get all the nutrients moving, and whatever the season was, he would just be out there, and my job was to pull the weeds. Pull the weeds, trash them, bag them, trash them. Make sure the garden stayed clean. And I, I, you know, I was growing up. I was a little girl. I didn't care about gardening. And my dad, while I, the times I was out there with him in the garden, he would show me along the way little things. He would give me little wisdom nuggets about the plants and the, you know, tomatoes and the peppers and the basil. 
and you know, you want to do this at this time of the year, you want to water it this often, and it was like, you know, like, I just want to go back to the pool. (laughs) It's hot. (laughs) And so when I was in the garden with my dad, um, very frequently, but when I was in the garden with my dad and he was trying to take those opportunities to show me and teach me things, I did not care. I did not see the value of learning about gardening and farming. And if I wasn't forced to be in the garden, you wouldn't find me in the garden. I wouldn't say it was one of my favorite chores. (laughs) Now, fast forwarding with me as an adult, my husband and I, in this new climate we're living in, one of our things that we've been talking about is building our own garden. And what type of plants to put in. We're going to do a raised bed because the soil in Middletown is terrible. (laughs) Can't grow anything in Middletown soil. So we're going to do a raised bed. We're going to, what type of soil we have to get, what type of plants we want to start with because we're beginners. You can't grow certain things next to each other because they'll kill each other. One will survive, one won't. And so we're looking at all these things, designs, layouts, what you can do, what you can't do, what you should do, what you shouldn't do. And it got me thinking. (laughs) I had a chance to know everything I needed to know about gardening (laughs) my whole life. And now that I need this knowledge and I want this knowledge, I don't have it. And it just humbled me for a moment in my own space. And... um, I wish I would have I wish I would have gone out with my dad more when he was in the garden. I wish I would have learned from him all those years because all this beginning stuff would have been stored in me. It would have been within me and I could have just recalled it. I wouldn't be overwhelmed. It wouldn't feel hard. I wish I would not have been so short-sighted and ignorant and didn't neglect this invaluable, precious time to build a relationship with my dad in the garden. Not that I don't have a relationship with my dad. It was just something he loved and was passionate about. And that was something I wish I shared with him. And I wish I would have seen the value and the beauty of being with my father in the garden. I wish I would have learned from my father how to be a good farmer, a good gardener. Sorry. So it got me thinking. What makes a good farmer? How, how, what does a farmer need to be a good farmer? What does it take? Because we've learned about flourishing. We've learned about what it takes when you've started growing and when, you know, to stay growing and stay healthy and stay uh, vigilant. And, um, but what does it take from me? How am I? What, do, what is required of me to get to a place where I can have healthy soil, where I can have the knowledge of the things that I'm doing in the garden, and then have my garden flourish? 
So I was doing some research, and there's some basic characteristics, and they vary depending on what you're looking at. And some of the ones I found pretty consistent are that a farmer has to be passionate about what he does for a living. He has to be in constant pursuit of knowledge. He has to have an eagerness to learn and grow. A good farmer has to be skilled in what he does so that he can be a proactive problem solver. And he has to have patience and he has to have perseverance. And I'm going to save the last one for when we get there. It's a little cliffhanger. So I'm going to go back to passion. A farmer is passionate because his job is not a job, it's a way of life. Everything that a farmer does is in every aspect of his life. It's His family is a part of it. His, it is everything he does, every minute of his day is the farm. It's a way of life. Farmers are driven with a love and enthusiasm for what they do, and that love and enthusiasm is what builds their strength and endurance for times of fatigue, failure, and disappointment. It's what gives them strength in times of crisis and uncertain economic circumstances, right? Just like farmers, we are to be passionate. We are to be passionate about our love for God. We are to be passionate about the word of God. We are to be passionate about what we are created to do. And what we are created to do, we learned, is to be fruitful and multiply and share Jesus with the world. A farmer does not keep his crop for himself, right? He packages it, he feeds his family, but he packages it and he delivers it all over the world. Matthew says, we must love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and with all of our mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is to love one another, and it's just as important. In Romans, we're told, don't pretend to love one another. So don't just love. Don't pretend to love. Don't fake it. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. You know, passion means undeniable, uncontainable enthusiasm. Next, a farmer must desire knowledge. He can't rely on the knowledge he had 10 years ago to survive the climate we have today. He can't rely on the knowledge he had from 10 years ago to survive the pandemic that we're facing today. His knowledge has had to grow in technology. His knowledge has had to grow in business. His knowledge has had to grow in areas that are outside of his expertise in order to survive the circumstance. A good farmer is a perpetual student. 
That means he is consistently and continuously learning without ceasing. He does not stop. He cannot stop. But they don't learn and seek knowledge from just anybody. They don't come to me who don't know how to garden and say, what do I do? They don't come to me. They go to the experts. They go to the experts in business. They go to the experts in farming. They go to the experts, how did you survive? What did you do? How are you thriving? This is, we had a hurricane, took all our farm. How did you survive? Like farmers, we should be going to the expert. Are you spending time in the garden with God? Are you spending time in the word? Remember, my dad, okay? You're here, so I'm just going to use you. I remember growing up, Proverbs was like his favorite book of the Bible. Favorite. Not favorite because it made him feel good, but favorite because he found accountability in Proverbs. Because Proverbs is the book of wisdom. I'm not saying the other books in the Bible are not. You cannot seek knowledge in all the other books, because you can and you will. But spend time in Proverbs. It's a little random nugget. But spend time understanding and asking God for wisdom and knowledge. Ask him to explain it to you. Ask him to help you understand it. Go to the expert, learn from him, know him, build a relationship with him. The Bible says we're all taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. I am the bread of life. Those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. And they will have an abundance of knowledge, but for those who are not even what little understanding they have will be taken. I didn't naturally have a, a green thumb. I did not inherit my, my father's gift of farming and gardening. Still can kill a plant, even the unkillable, just like Dr. Gladys. It's a gift. <laughs> if you can't kill it, I'll kill it. <laughs> I remember for uh, admin appreciation day at work a few years ago, one of the doctors I work with knew this about me, and so she got me an orchid, because orchids are really hard to kill, apparently. Yeah. Killed it. <laughs> I thought I watered it enough. <laughs> with water, not tea. <clears throat> But I just don't have, it just, it doesn't come to me. And maybe it's because when I had the opportunity to learn from the expert, I didn't. I did not have that knowledge inside of me to pour into my orchid. I would do just enough to maybe keep it alive. <laughs> but I didn't have passion about it. You know, I was like, I love the gift. It's beautiful. But it's like, I, I know who I really am. So it's like, ah. Uh. Not looking good. <laughs> a good farmer seeks constant growth and improvement. A good farmer thirsts for knowledge and understands that his knowledge alone is not sufficient in the long term. Um, and as I was 
learning about farmers, I came across this quote from an Illinois crop farmer, and he says, your crop will only grow as much as you grow. So if you're not growing, and you're not learning, and you're not in the Word of God, and you're not praying and asking for understanding, your family can only grow as far as you know to grow it. You can only grow and expand in the areas you know to grow and expand in, but who knows if it's the right one because you don't have wisdom. I move in all kinds of directions. I don't know that God would call it wisdom. And that's my bad. I'm like, uh, it's weird for me to say her whole name, but I'll say it for her sake. Tamada. <laughs> Maddie. <laughs> Tamada. <laughs> I... I feel like God gives me messages that he wants me to learn from. Like, I'm preparing a message for you, and he's like, ha-ha, sneak attack, it's for you. <laughs> so I'm taking as much accountability in this message as I hope we all are. We're told multiple times in the Bible, in Scripture, to ask Jesus for spiritual wisdom and understanding to grow in our knowledge of who God is because when we know God better, we can grow. Our lives produce every kind of good fruit. Wisdom will multiply our days and add years to our life. If you become wise, you will be the one to benefit. But if you reject wisdom, you will be the one to suffer. I don't want to suffer. Do y'all want to suffer? I feel like I've suffered enough. (laughs) But I'm doing it to myself. I'm suffering by myself because I am rejecting constant knowledge from my God. One of the reasons I had anxiety today is because the enemy has been telling me, you don't know enough to be up there. You don't read enough to feel comfortable. Like, that's not really what that means. I remember telling my husband, we were on a walk, and I was like, I'm second-guessing myself because I want to make sure that, like, how I'm interpreting it is right, is accurate. And I had anxiety because it's just like, he, he knows my weakness, and he takes it, and he uses it, and he always will because that's who he is. We should not be surprised. But when we see it, we call it, we identify it, and we rebuke it. Amen. Right? Amen. Tangent. Sorry. Again, <laughs> I warned you. <laughs> a good farmer, with his knowledge, is a skilled and proactive problem solver. Because he is consistently growing, consistently learning new things, new ways, new technologies, new threats, new vulnerabilities. He is aware of where problems could come from. And because he's aware, he can proactively problem solve. He can proactively prepare for those things that he's anticipating We all face things we don't anticipate, like COVID-19. Nobody anticipated that. But we still have a guidebook that tells us 
what to do in unknown circumstances when we didn't, when we couldn't prepare. Farmers face adversity and crisis situations requiring quick thinking and creative solutions, and that's why this knowledge is important, because if they don't have the knowledge of what needs to be done and how to proactively handle it, they can't, they can't act quickly. They can't. They couldn't take a year to adjust to all the changes with COVID. They couldn't. They couldn't take a year to learn about how do we change this? How do we change that? How do we do this? How do we do that? They have to rely on their knowledge that they've had leading up to them today and prepare a quick solution. I couldn't have survived that because I don't have that knowledge. A good farmer is known for the courage it takes in his proactive response. He knows what's most vulnerable. He knows what's at highest risk. He knows in his farm who he works with. He knows that he's working in an unstable economy. He knows the weather's changing constantly. The environment is changing constantly. He can't stop natural disasters from coming. But he has an emergency plan. He has a plan in place for just in case something happens that he hasn't prepared for. He knows and has identified these vulnerabilities and areas of risk, and so he can prepare in advance, and he is ready to address if and when it occurs. He does not wait until the crisis occurs to become knowledgeable. He does not prepare a response when a crisis occurs, because then it's too late. The predators have already come for his livestock, the economy has already changed and he's losing money. When we spend time learning and studying the word of God and learning who Jesus is and our father, when we spend time learning from the expert and gaining his wisdom and understanding of who he is in our lives, we possess the proactive response. That knowledge gives us everything we need to know to respond to those areas in our life. We can be courageous when facing situations and not live in fear or stressed out or anxious. I'm not saying it'll be easy. We've never said that. But I can respond knowing that I was prepared for this. Romans says we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope and salvation and this hope will not lead to disappointment. It can't. So be prepared. Be knowledgeable. Because when you face those problems and you face those trials, no matter how huge, no matter how small, we know they help build our endurance. We know they build character. We know they build hope. And that hope cannot disappoint. 
you will not be disappointed in the outcome. A good farmer must be patient and he must persevere. A farmer's reward comes very slowly. You plant the seeds, you prepare the land, you plant the seeds, you water the seeds, and then you wait. You wait for them to sprout. You hope they all sprout. (laughs) A farmer doesn't know if all the seeds he planted will flourish. Prepping and sowing and harvesting a crop and a field are long processes, and they're even longer when you have droughts, when the environment changes, you have natural disasters, you have hurricanes, you have tornadoes. There's years where farmers, their whole crop, their whole family savings for that year are gone because a tornado came through. But I love this quote that I found from a farmer. I don't really feel like it's ever been an option for us to give up. And we have to make a choice to be resilient through every situation that is thrown at us. If we decide to hang our hat up and the next farmer decides to hang his hat up, if we decide to stop, where will their food come from? They feed the earth. If farmers don't persevere, and if they are not patient, and if they are not knowledgeable, and if they are not passionate, they do not grow, they do not flourish, and we are not fed. If we give up when things are hard, when things are unbearable, and we can't imagine pushing forward, if we don't make it through the trial, who will receive the testimony? We don't have a testimony if we quit. Right, that's good. Who will tell of God's goodness? Because if we quit, he didn't have a chance to show his goodness and mercy in your life. Who will tell of his faithfulness, of his love? Who is going to feed the people with his word? Where will they get their help if no one is providing them with a solution? So if you quit today, if we quit today, where does their food come from? Perseverance is a continued effort to do or achieve something despite difficulties, failure, and opposition. Some say that farmers capture this word the best. A farmer who faces difficulties, failure, and opposition each day to continue providing his family and or millions of others. If he quits and doesn't persevere, we are not fit. Patience and perseverance is a long-term goal. It's not short-term. If it was short-term, I don't think there would be such an emphasis on it, and I don't think it would be as hard as it is. I don't think God would have made it a point to tell us to be patient so many times. If it wasn't hard, 
but we can do it because he's our strength. He's the reason we can persevere because he persevered. He was abused. He was accused. He was murdered. But he fulfilled his purpose because he gracefully, sorry, he gracefully fulfilled his purpose and he fed God's people. And because he persevered, we are here today and we have direct access with the Father in heaven. Amen. Call me ignorant. (laughs) But I don't think I've read this scripture. And it made me see perseverance in a new light. We always talk about that he's called to be loving and kind and patient and have self-control. But in Revelations 3, 10 through 11, Jesus says, Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. I personally got from this. Pastor, correct me if I'm wrong. Perseverance is a command. It's not an option. Persevering is not an option. Quitting is, in, is not in alignment with God's command for your life. It's not in his vocabulary. When we go to heaven, we cannot say we quit. Quitting gives the world permission to steal your spot. Are you going to let them steal your spot? Are you going to give up? The last characteristic that I saved for the end, we're not at the end, I just saved it for the end. Don't get excited. A good farmer does not sleep. He rests. A farmer rests to rejuvenate, but they do not sleep. They cannot afford to ignore their surroundings. They cannot afford to monitor, not monitor their crops and their livestock. At night, farmers move their livestock inside so predators cannot get to them. They have cameras to monitor their farms. They have dogs to make noise at night to let them know if some outside predator is coming in to steal their crop. They do not close their eyes without ensuring that all precautionary measures that they know to take have been taken, and they are prepared for when night falls and they close their eyes. Rest Jessica, why is rust and sleep different? Well, I had to look it up too, because to me, (laughs) sleeping, we sleep. We need it, right? Rest is relief from work or activity by sleeping. But rest is a state of calmness. It is relaxation without emotional stress and freedom from anxiety. Sleep, however... 
is an altered state of consciousness in which the individual's perception of and reaction to their environment is decreased. To rest, sleep is to rest, but in a state of reduced consciousness and reduced awareness with the inability to react. In the Bible, sleep is a state of lazy inactivity. The difference between resting and sleeping has everything to do with your state of mind. Sleeping requires losing awareness of your surroundings. As you drift into a deep sleep, you are losing all consciousness. You are losing the ability to react. Resting involves full consciousness while sleeping. You are fully aware of your surroundings. You can react if necessary, and you stay in control of your senses, your smell, your sound, and your touch. We Christians, because we call ourselves children of God, cannot sleep anymore. We cannot glide under the radar because we're afraid of offending people. We don't want to offend the popular narrative, whatever the narrative is today or tomorrow because it'll change. It always changes. We cannot live in a state of reduced consciousness. We cannot live unaware of what's happening around us, to us, in us, around our children, in your children, and to your children. We have to be spiritually awake at all times. Do not sleep. Close your eyes, rest, rejuvenate, be prepared, be ready to react. Why is this important? Why is this relevant? Jesus shared a parable of the weeds and the wheat. Matthew 13, 24 through 29. Or 23, I think I gave. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produces a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as was planted. Then Jesus told another story. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted all that good seed is now full of weeds. What did you do? Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, said the farmer. Should we pull out the weeds, they said? Nope, because you'll uproot the wheat. You will uproot the wheat if you do. The farmer didn't plant bad seeds. The workers went to sleep, and while they slept, the enemy planted bad seeds 
next to the good seeds. The workers left the crops unattended. They lost consciousness. They lost awareness. They lost the ability to react. By the time they noticed that the weeds were even there and among the wheat, it was too late. The seeds of the weeds had already been planted. The roots of the weeds were already established and rooted in the ground, intertwined with the roots of the wheat. And that's why they couldn't pull the wheat or the weeds up from the ground because it would have taken the wheat with it and the wheat couldn't have grown and the farmer couldn't have saved what was not ruined. They did not know the weeds were planted until the wheat began to sprout and from its stalk and they saw the difference between the wheat and the weeds. The weeds were growing the whole time in front of them. They were flourishing right in front of them. But they couldn't see it until the wheat began to sprout and they could see the difference. Because the weed resembled that of the weed. Wheat. One night left unattended. One moment of vulnerability. One night of letting their guard down. Feeling safe. Feeling secure. One night. One moment is all the enemy needed to sneak in and plant a seed. Not one seed, but many seeds. The workers slept, and while they slept, the enemy did his thing. This is why. This is why we cannot sleep. We cannot. And I'm going to call myself out. My husband and I, do I have children in here? Are there little kids in here? Because if you do, I won't share it. My husband and I were in bed yesterday. And we just started mourning because we have young children. We weren't mourning because we have young children. It's very sad. And um, we were talking about how when we were kids and we were going in school, the only things we prepared for was natural disasters. We prepared for fire drills. We prepared for hurricanes, if Delaware really had one. And those are the things we prepared for. And... um, I asked my daughter, you know, what kind of drills do you guys do at school? And I, I said, do you do a fire drill? And she was like, yeah, we do another one too. And I said, what's the other one? And she said, well, it's the wolf drill. The wolf drill is an active shooter drill. And I said, well, what do you do during the wolf drill? And she goes, the teacher goes, oh, And then we all know to listen, and we all know to go to our spot, and we have to stay quiet because the wolf is here. 
my daughter in kindergarten as a designated hiding spot for her under a sink in a classroom just in case the wolf comes. Each child in her classroom knows where to hide. They have their own spot because they've practiced it. But she doesn't know who the wolf is. She just knows that when there's a wolf, when you hear the wolf cry, this is how we react. We can't sleep. We cannot not intercede for our children and their safety. We cannot. There are people that are ill. There are people that are hurt. There are people that are destroyed inside. They don't know what we know. They don't have what we have. They don't know what they don't know, and they hurt people. I cannot sleep. I cannot send my children to school and not intercede on their behalf as they walk out the door. I'm thankful that their teachers have knowledge and that they are prepared so that they have a proactive response when the wolf comes. I'm thankful for that. But at the same time, I'm devastated that my children have to prepare for a wolf. Not a fire. A wolf. And the Bible says a wolf can come in sheep's clothing. He could be the kid that she sits next to for four years. And then one day, he comes in and takes them. It could be the teacher that's been teaching her for years. And then one day, they come in and take them. You don't know. We don't know who the wolves are half of the time. But that's why he says, be knowledgeable. Be prepared. Have wisdom. Do not sleep. In Proverbs, it says, you, you lazy bones, how long will you sleep? Will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Go ahead. And then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack and you'll be robbed while you sleep. While you sleep, while you live unaware, while I live in a state of unconsciousness, while I live outside of the presence of God in my life, While you live in ignorance and without the wisdom of God in your everyday life and you're too busy working and entertained with all these shows and all these priorities in life, priorities is what the enemy uses to 
get into you. Priorities is what he says. No, you got to take care of this first. You don't have time for this. You got to go do this because you got to make money because you got to provide for your family. You don't have time to get on your knees and pray for five minutes. You got to get the kids dressed. You got to get up for the bus. You got to go to school. You got to get to work. You're going to get missed traffic. You're going to get stuck. There's going to be pennies on the highway. You're going to be late. The enemy uses the priorities you place in your life to attack you. To attack your time with God. He uses your priorities to attack being in the garden, getting to the garden. And then you're so tired with all your priorities at the end of the day that you do what? You sleep. And while you sleep, the enemy is creeping into your kids. The enemy is creeping in on your home on your marriage, your friends, your job. He's killing your garden. Your weeds are growing and you don't even see it because you're too busy with your priorities. I'm saying you, but I'm talking to me. Weeds grow wherever there is an absence of a farmer. Weeds grow when the garden is left unattended. They grow and they grow fast. How many times have you gone to bed and there's no weeds and you wake up and bam, they're four feet tall. They grow overnight. They consume your space. They consume your children. They consume your marriage. They consume your life. So today I ask you, are you sleeping Or are you resting? What are you leaving unattended? What are you leaving vulnerable for attack? Are you physically and spiritually lazy, unaware and unconscious? Or are you rested, rejuvenated, alert, present and prepared? Are you a good farmer or a lazy farmer? I've been a lazy farmer. Are you spending time in the garden with your father? Are you building a relationship with your father? Are you getting to know him intimately, the things that make him happy, the things that make him cry? Are you passionately living your life for Christ and sharing it with others? Or are you keeping the crop to yourself? Are you filled with the word of God? Do you have that knowledge inside of you? Are you consistently asking God for wisdom and understanding so you can continue to grow no matter the circumstances? Are you being patient? Are you persevering or have you given up? We say pretty often, because it's biblical, but we say it a lot, that we were chosen for this time. But you were. In John 15, he says, you did not choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit, not seasonal fruit. 
not fruit that grows and dies and doesn't come back. So when you want to quit, remember that you were created for this season, this garden, this moment, this time. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to be a good farmer? Are you going to become wiser and stronger and persevere? Are you going to produce lasting fruit or temporary fruit? In 18, he says, if the world hates you, remember, it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. We are never, ever get it out of your head. We are never going to have a garden that predators don't want to kill, eat from, prey upon. We are never going to have a garden that weeds don't want to inhibit and penetrate and suffocate. We are never, ever going to live in a world where nothing tries to kill, steal, and destroy. It will always hate you. The enemy does not want you or anything in your life to flourish. He will try at every opportunity and use absolutely everything in your life to get you and your children and your families. So be a good farmer. Be filled. Be prayed up. Spend time in the garden. Spend time with the Holy Spirit. Walk with the Holy Spirit. Bring him with you. Ask God to examine you and strengthen you and grow you honestly. Be patient. Persevere through everything, no matter what. Be prepared. Be proactive. Do not wait for the enemy to take your children before you start praying for them. Do not wait for the enemy to sow seeds of depression, anxiety, and doubt into your children's minds before you start filling them with the word of God. Do not wait for the enemy to start tearing up your marriage before you bring your issues to Jesus' feet. Mm. Create your smoke. If you don't know what that means, that means you weren't here and you weren't listening to the YouTube stream. So do your homework. (laughs) Create your smoke. Make your noise. The enemy hates it when we say the name of Jesus. You speak the name of Jesus over everything in your life, over every single day of your life. When you have no words to say, you better cry the name of Jesus until it ceases. You rest. You do not sleep. Do not give the enemy one night of access. Do not give him one hour. Don't give him one minute, one second unattended. You identify him, you call him out, and you rebuke him. 
because he's coming after everything you have and you better be prepared. We make it way too complicated, guys. Way too complicated. We get so caught in our emotions. We get caught in how we feel, how we look, how it's going to look to others. It is so simple. That's the enemy getting in the way so that you don't flourish. If you are not in the garden, come back. Come back to the garden every single day. You wake up like a farmer. I'm not saying at 4.30 in the morning, I don't want to wake up at 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> but ironically enough, this entire week, God has been waking me up at 4 a.m. Wake up early. Don't, like, don't wait for the sun to greet you in the morning. You wake up, prayed up, prepared, and you greet the sun. Because by the time the sun rises, the locusts have come. The predators have already started trickling in. Seeds are already sown. Greet the sun. Don't wait for it to rise. The enemy can't win when you're resting, not sleeping. The enemy cannot win when you are a good farmer. He can't, and he won't. If you need to know how simple this is, read your word. Read your word, pray, spend time with the Holy Spirit, worship, praise. Four things. Four things. Praise him. Praise will be your breakthrough. There's a song called Defender. I've had it on repeat. That's the one I was crying to this morning. (laughs) Praise will be your breakthrough. Your song becomes your triumph. Worship is your warfare. And your victory is in Jesus. And all I had to do was praise. All I had to do was worship. And all I had to do was bow down. And all I had to do was stay still. Fighting the enemy doesn't mean getting up and physically doing anything. Fighting the enemy is warfare. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. If you would like to find information about who we are or how to donate so that we can keep doing what we're doing, please check us out at www.scarletnotes.org. See you next time.